0: You are listening to iFanboys Talk Explode with Aubrey Sitterson. At and of course, thanks to our patrons, uh, we are getting Talksplodes regularly. Those are our creator interview podcasts, and this time we are talking to Aubrey Sitterson. Uh, Aubrey is writing the current ongoing G.I. Joe comic for IDW, um, but he's been working in comics in lots of capacities for a while. He was an editor at Marvel for a long time, uh, and he worked with Robert Kirkman on Walking Dead. Uh, so he's got a lot of experience and fun stuff. You may also know him from his wrestling podcast, Straight Shoot. It could be all sorts of things. Well, let's get started. Welcome to IFanboys Splode. I'm Josh Flanagan, and I'm here today with Aubrey Talk explode. right? It's one of those names I kind of regret in re- in retrospect, but there it is. Just like I fanboy.
1: I <laughs> let's let's start off by talking about regrets. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we don't have that much time. I, I regret calling my my wrestling talk show Straight Shoot because it's like it's like a very like insidery kind of thing, that, and it's that's not really what the show is, but. it was like an old column i used to do for our mutual friend chris radke ah at at ugo and i I was thinking like you know i wanted i wanted to alliterate right so i wanted like citizen's straight shoot straight shooting with citizen right like this whole Mm -hmm. thing and i just i don't know like i i had that already so i just felt i didn't feel like changing it but yeah regrets man name me.
0: we this was like we named it like 2000 so like uh, iMac and iPod and whatever like we were like what about eFanboy we thought Fanboy was funny because it was like a stupid term but we were we were taking it back and
1: now you know like t- 15 years later it's just oh Jesus why did I you like do this? iFanboy honestly because it feels like iRobot to me like I knew yeah, no, there was you that guys too write it. Yep. yeah like like you guys write it with the lowercase i so it's yep. very much like the the apple thing but I don't know Throw the, comments there man the get, fa- that, get that Asimov pop
0: it, well uh Paul Cornell uh, early on, like he he right when he was starting out in comics, like he went around recommending us to a bunch of like British sci fi press and he always spelled it with the comma and we were like that's wrong though. <laughs> but he knew. Yeah, that guy's a professional writer. Yep, yeah, he knew. He knows. Uh it was the fanboy part really more than the eye part that oh. kind of wore on us as we approached our middle age. <laughs> yeah. Uh
1: I don't know. You 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 relax into things though, and you 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 own it and it becomes oh, yeah, totally. It's I don't know. there. I don't, listen, I don't need you to make me feel better about this. <laughs> listen, don't beat yourself up, Josh. I <laughs> wish you – you're a good guy. You do good work. I, I don't think you should let this get you down.
0: So you are a guy who um, has been kicking around comics for a very long time. Oh, man. Uh, that's a
1: terrible way to open this. No. Regrets no, and then how
0: old I am. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. I'm younger than you. How about that? A lot of people are younger than Sit me. Sit on this it. Is not. It's not a thing. <laughs> but – the point being, uh, you you were sort of in the background of stuff. Now you're you're known. You you have you have your podcast, right? You were just talking about. Um, you're writing GI Joe, and we're gonna get to that stuff. But but earlier you were behind the scenes working in comics. Like, how did that come about? What did you did you always want to write comics? Like, how did you end up getting into comics?
1: So I I was always a comic book fan. Um, I was as a kid I was primarily comic strips. Uh, I was a big uh, Calvin and Hobbes, of course. I mean, it's like I don't know nobody around our age. You know, even by around our age, I mean, by like within like 15 years of our ages, uh, isn't a fan of Calvin and Hobbes. But uh, it's so biggest, good that it's universal. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't even want to talk about it because sure. it's just obviously it's great. Whatever. Move on. Uh, but no, um, Bloom County and Outland were my favorites as a kid. So I was very much a comic strip kid. Uh, comic books, too. Um, but it was mostly through my cousins because they just their dad got everything. And so I would read whatever they handed me. Um, I didn't. We moved around a lot and I didn't have a lot of comics of my own for whatever reason. Uh, But when I was in college, I kind of fell down the rabbit hole. And a big part of that, too, was going to college in New York. Right. So I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and there weren't a whole lot of comic book stores. And there certainly weren't ones that were accessible for me as a kid to go hang out at. Right. Um, Like you couldn't hop on your bike and ride to a comic book store. But once I moved to New York, uh, there were awesome, amazing comic book shops everywhere. Right. And this is 2001. And. Uh, I sort of felt, uh, I sort of fell down the rabbit hole of comic stuff. Right. And there wasn't like a, uh, concerted, like reading order. It was just kind of whatever t- pickled, like tickled my fancy or pickled my fancy. Uh, you know, you Jimbo was like something I latched onto and I read like all of those. I was super into it, but I, I decided, I realized while I was, um, my original goal when I went to college was to become a philosophy professor and then I met. Why, is,
0: why are we laughing? Why is that funny? Uh, it, no, it is. I, I don't. I don't even know if I know exactly why, but you know it is. Uh, it's a little funny. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, like, it's really. It's like I don't want to work at all.
1: Well, no, I, I wanted to work. I just wanted to do the real work of thinking about how we think and yeah. why. Right. Like like I was. I was very caught up with all that stuff, and uh, but then I met a bunch of people in the philosophy department, and they were really awful. Like everyone I met was awful in academia. Um. So uh, just throw down the gauntlet against the academia right I now. The class I got a C in in
0: college was Intro to Philosophy.
1: Yeah, I, I was um, like, fuck yeah. this, <laughs> fuck them, fuck them. I'm with you. Uh, no, so like, I was, I didn't really. It kind of really upended things really quickly for me, and um, I, I looked into things like, ah, so this is again, fuck academia. How about that? Uh, I wanted to, like, I was like, oh, I should do something more practical. I should go into computer programming or uh, engineering or like, and I was just, I had all these ideas of things that, like. I would like to do maybe. And it was too late. I had already gone one semester on the philosophy track. So I would have had to be in college for an extra year if I wanted to do these things, um, which is just insane. Right. But anyways, uh, I decided I want to write comics uh, <laughs> uh, because I really liked them. And I, I realized, you know, what, I think this is a thing I can do. Like, I think my brain works in an appropriate way to do this. Right. Just in terms because I think if you're writing comics, um, you, your brain kind of needs to work in like a holistic fashion, right? You can't just think about story. You can't just think about dialogue. You can't just think about images. You have to think about all these things in concert while also picking, you know, these individual moments. And I, I, maybe this sounds arrogant, but I, I thought this is a thing I can do and I can do well. And I just, I just thought that I could do it. And so I figured the best way to learn how to write comics would be to work at a company in a position where you're like involved intimately with every aspect of comics. And of course that's editing. And so I got an internship in Marvel comics and after I don't know, I think I've interned for like two or three semesters and uh, I got, I got hired as a, part-time editorial assistant while I was still in college and then brought on as a full-timer. Uh, when I graduated it was very fortuitous that someone left like a week before I graduated and so I was able to slide right into that role. There That's you go. That's
0: kind of perfect. So you you like didn't work in anything you went straight to working in comics.
1: I went yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I started working in comics uh, when I was a like I you know I cashed my first comics paycheck when I was a senior in college. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, and that was like a part time one. Then then went full time immediately thereafter. Yes, sir. And the idea was,
0: I'm going to learn the tools of the trade, and then I'm going to go, I'm become a
1: writer. I'm going exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. That was a thing
0: that seemed to happen a lot more in that era than it does now.
1: Well, I think I mean the reasons are pretty clear. I mean it's that there's there's a there are ways in now Mm -hmm. that didn't really you know and like this, this is 2005 is when I graduated right, so this isn't you know eons ago, but it's long enough ago, right? This is p- definitely pre-Twitter and Tumblr and all these, wa- you know, like the the best bet, like back in those days, it, the best bet to find an artist to work on something with you on the internet, right? Like mm-hmm. not going to cons and trolling around on the the floor and stuff like that but on the internet the best bet were message boards like you know, like digital webbing and stuff like that and I had tried that stuff but I didn't really have a whole lot of luck with it probably because I was a fucking nobody and nobody wanted to work with a nobody
0: but I uh I can relate to that yeah exactly yeah, I've been I've been I haven't there. thought of digital webbing and I just thought oh and I remember sending a tarot I remember sending an email to Jamie McKelvey just on digital webbing? Ter- I don't know if it's from there, but that era, just be like, I like what that guy draws like.
1: Yeah. <laughs> maybe he maybe he'll be so enamored with my the ideas of some man he doesn't know across the world. Perhaps. <laughs> that'll 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 win him over. It, uh, it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like that that to me, it seemed like the most reasonable, expedient, best path to breaking in. Um which now you know, again, in hindsight, it seems kind of absurd because there's just so many options now. Oh, but I don't think so at all. It wasn't, it it was, wasn't the case. It wasn't the case then.
0: I think it's 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 incredibly logical, and it's it's funny because that was the thing for a while. I forgot that as being a root. You know that that you know that was a, that's Mark Wade root.
1: That's you know tons of yeah. guys from that. I era. mean, and, uh, Pete Samasi. Yeah, Pete Tomasi is a Great example of that, right? I mean, and so here's the thing. I mean, it's odd because people say, "Oh, that's." A route, or even that was the route, mm-hmm. uh, but it really wasn't, mm-hmm. right? Like, if I if I could go back and tell young Aubrey, uh, I would say, don't do that. I would say, move move out of New York, move somewhere cheaper that you can then just do your comics on the side while having like another job that's you know um, subsidizes the comics. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, working as an editor and then leaving to go write, there's a stigma attached to it because there's so many guys who do it and try to do it, and I, I think that there's, so that's one piece of the stigma, and another piece is that it wasn't that long ago in the institutional memory of places like Marvel and DC, especially Marvel, when you know half the line was written by editors and their pals up and down the offices, and it made for lousy comics, right? So there's yeah. like this reluctance to, I think there's this fear of nepotism accusations, and there's a reluctance to go back to that, right? Um, and Which I get, but the upshot of that was that you know, my thought was, you know, I'm going to spend three years at Marvel. I'm going to do my time. I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to learn about every aspect of comic book production and promotion and PR and stuff. And I did, right. I learned an immense amount and I don't regret it, but it didn't put me in a spot to become a successful writer afterwards. And if anything, I think it kind of kneecapped my progress a little bit, um, which I'm just like, I, I remember, uh, there's a quote from Dan slot, um, which I always thought was really funny. Um, and apt, right, which was that, you know, he'd been an editor at Marvel. He'd been he worked under Fabian Nicieza, like doing Star Comics and stuff like that. And he'd written stuff while he was there. But even him having written stuff while he was there, or having written comics for Marvel Comics, the the, the swimsuit issue, right? <laughs> that was written by Dan Slott. Uh Even him, he had he had to leave and wait like a decade before he could come back and actually get consistent work. And he said that, you know, he had to wait for people to forget that he actually worked there, <laughs> which is. Which is, I, I don't know. It's it it feels true to me, you know, because it's taken me it's taken me this long to kind of really get a foothold. Um, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not bitter because honestly, I'm doing a lot. You know, if I had left Marvel and they gave me an ongoing series, it would have been nowhere near as good as GI Joe is now, right? So it's so like in you know, uh, long term it works out fine. But yeah, man, it, it was a very frustrating thing for me for a really long time that, you know, I don't think that. It doesn't logic – so we'll get into the philosophy stuff. It doesn't logically follow that all editors are going to be good writers. But I do think that there's a – there's reason to believe that if you've spent years working as an editor, there are things that you understand about comics more than your average bear does. Um, so, And there's also no reason to expect that a former editor would be a bad writer either, right? Well, let me ask um, you this.
0: Just just from a – when I think of who – the guys who I think of, oh, these are good editors. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't I don't think of a lot of guys who are also writers on the side, like
1: they've decided to be good at editing. Well, I think they're totally different skills. Yeah. Really. I mean, I think I was I was a terrible editor. I was a bad <laughs> comic book editor. I don't I don't have any problem or shame admitting that. Uh, and I wasn't a bad comic book editor because I didn't understand or because I had bad a bad aesthetic or bad taste or anything like that. I was a bad comic book editor because I didn't want to be editing comic books. I wanted to be writing comic books. Right. You know? So there in my experience there are two types of comic book editors. Uh, there are the people who hire the the right people for the job and then try and assist them in doing the best version of their book that they possibly can right and that's the good comic book editor and the bad comic book editor is a person who hires you know whoever they're gonna hire maybe it's the right person for the job maybe it's not but then regardless sets out to kind of browbeat them into telling the type of story that they would tell if they had the opportunity if they were sitting behind if they were sitting in that role Um, and i think i was very much the latter um, partially because that's what I wanted to be doing, and I was every you know I was jealous of every person I was who was writing a book for me because I wanted to be doing that, and partially just because I was super young, man. I was twenty one to twenty four working at Marvel, and that's too I don't know that's too that's too young to be in charge of monthly books. I think.
0: I can I can say it's funny because every time you see people go, those guys at Marvel I don't know what they're doing. I think well well they're I kids. don't they,
1: they're kids they literally yeah, don't. <laughs> Your kids, man. I I was given I was I was made the full editor of monthly titles. Uh, the first one was Marvel Team Up, right? Like it was already going, but they they said they put me in charge of it and you run the book, you know. And I had to run everything by Tom Brevoort, and we read scripts and talked to them together and stuff. And it was a learning process, right? But I was put in response. I was put in charge of a monthly book at 22 after this, a year the working one. as an editor. Uh, this is the Kirkman one, correct? Right. Had that? So were you working
0: on it like ahead of time? And I'm trying yeah, to I was remember the how that. I was trying to remember how that book worked out because Kirkman wrote all of it, so it was basically was it Freedom Ring. Uh, Freedom Ring came on,
1: yeah, yeah. Right. So I started. I think I started with. Um, um, so that was the Andy Kuhn stuff. I think I started with um, Phil Hester and Andy Park stuff. Okay. Um, whatever, whichever arc that was. So it was after the Scott Collins stuff. I think I may have even gone on. Oh no, 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 no! That's not even true. No, because they didn't do that, did they? They did covers. That's what it is. They did covers for Marvel Team Up. I started with the Paco Medina stuff, mm-hmm. um, I believe, which is like Le- League of Losers and stuff like that. That was a fun book. I remember, like, I'm
0: I vaguely it. remembering that. And they, they, they yeah, it was they, fun. Cancelled. So, were you trying to get uh, Kirkman to do your
1: stories? <laughs> uh, no, like, so that wasn't uh, like I don't know. I I probably overstated a little bit. Like, I wasn't always like. Uh, it, it wasn't even so much a heavy handed thing as it was really just not being able to look at um, like, I, I don't know, like I wasn't objectively. Yeah. Not being able to be fully, fully objective and also just thinking in terms of like, what would I do? Like, so I didn't know and I still don't know if I know how to do this well and which is just good because it's not my job anymore. So who cares? Um, but like, I don't think I was particularly good at looking at a script and saying, OK, how do I so here's what this guy's trying to do and. How do I help them do that better? Instead, I would read something and say, "Oh, here's how I would do it," right? And sometimes those are the same thing, but not always.
0: Yeah, that seems about right. So, uh, what happens with Marvel then? You, 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 you come to the end of your rope? You, you've had enough? Or
1: uh, I'd been there for three years, and I kind of, um, I was looking for, I was looking for an out. Like I've been looking, I looked for an out. Like starting with two, I was, I was there for about two years, and you know, I had. I was already editing ongoing titles. I had gotten titles, you know, I had edited Blade and Ant Man, and I'd been given Punisher War Journal and so you're Ghost presu- Rider. And i, you're I brought probably on- living the dream. I mean, like, this this well, yeah. sounds like everything a boy could want. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I got to bring on Jason. I, I brought on Jason Aaron for Ghost Rider, which is like his first oh, ongoing fantastic. work at Marvel, which is awesome. And like, I love that book. So, Roland Boshi artwork and um, Marco it covers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I was very much living the dream, except for the fact that I was making like 30 grand a year in New York City. <laughs> and, uh, that sucks. <laughs> like, even in the distant stone I, age I mean, in, like the mid 2000s, that sucks. You know, at a certain
0: point, I started wondering, like, well, I know, I know everyone in comics now. I know, all, what could I do? So you want to be an editor? No, I can't afford that. No, you yeah. Make you you make that. No-
1: you make nothing, and the, the benefits – I think the benefits got a lot better after Mar- after Disney came in, but the b- benefits weren't great. Mm-hmm. And I mean – but the biggest thing really was that I wanted to write, and I knew that I couldn't write while I was working there, that that was verboten, that you, right. it, it just was not allowed. And so I knew that I was going to have to leave in order to write. And so I, I looked around for jobs for about a year before I found anything that I was interested in and that they were interested in me, and um, it was WWE. And a, you know, I had a, a friend of a friend, um, a girl I dated in college, um, put me in touch with a guy that was her friend. Uh, who was a, working at WWE and was a big comics fan and I was the opposite right I was working at Marvel and was a big WWE fan and um she put us in touch and he let me know when they were looking for digital content writers and I thought oh that is that is writer in the title at least that's me moving in the right direction right and um and so I you know I put in my two weeks and I I hit the road for Stamford Con- scenic Stamford Connecticut oh, and uh, yeah and my my original plan was to um start working in com, right? Like writing match results and feature features and things like that and recaps of shows and all, and then transition into an on the road gig. I wanted to be in the creative team for wrestling, right? I wanted to be in the writer's room and stuff. And, um, I, that was my plan for a little while until I heard enough stories from people who had actually been on the road about what a nightmare it was, right? Like that if you, if you're starting out, you know, you have to travel, right? Like, so you, tr- you're, somewhere different every single week. And your job is basically like Stephanie McMahon wants a muffin from this place and a coffee from this place. And like you're her gopher. And that sounded nightmarish to me. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so can't see I why. Stuck. Yeah. So I stuck with the I stuck with the dot-com stuff for a couple of years.
0: Huh. Now now you've been really close to sort of two fan favorite kind of industries. And I know this from You know, if you get too close to comics, it changes your relationship with them. And you took two things that you loved as a fan and turned them both into your career.
1: Yeah, I need to stop doing that. Yeah, what do you think about that? I made a conscious decision to stop doing that. Uh, and It actually came up recently because I play – uh, you follow me online, so you know I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. It's a thing I really like and I'm super into. And I've had a bunch of people ask me, like, Oh, are you gonna start doing like a podcast, like a like um like a playthrough, like, like Dungeons and Dragons? I was like, No, I I like this. This is this is this is how I unwind, right? I have a beard, I smoke a joint and I roll some dice. And like that's I don't wanna make that a job, right? Um, but no, so it's yeah, I I'm lucky, I guess. Well, I'm 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 very lucky, right, that I've been I've been able to work in comics. I've been able to work in wrestling. I've been able to work in video games. I feel like if I add, if if I get that porn job I've been angling for, uh, that's like all of 13 year old Aubrey's interests. Yeah, All of them. It's every single one of them. Right. I'm really, I'm really fortunate in that regard. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like I've, I've managed to maintain my love for these things. Um, less video games. Um, but really I, the video game job I got was really just because I was a wrestling guy. Um, but no, I still really love wrestling. I still really love comic books. Um, I, I know there are a lot. A lot of people have stories about like seeing how the sausage gets made and then not wanting to eat said sausage anymore. But for me, I think that I really just started appreciating things differently. That, that's exactly the way I that I appreciated different at. things about them. And um, I, it, and honestly, I appreciate them more knowing the, the work and the thought uh, that goes into these things. Because again, you know people whether it's wrestling or comics or television or whatever, people just assume that, like, I don't know, I, I think people people don't realize how many variables go into doing anything, you know, and, like, how how much more exponentially difficult things get the more people get involved, right, whether it's on the creative side or the business side or the marketing side, and how many compromise, you know, like, if you've got a podcast and it's just you and you sit down and yammer a fantasy story every week like I do with my Scald thing. Yeah, it's creatively pure and like any and all decisions come down to me. But anything else, it's just – it's nothing but compromises. And so knowing about the types of compromises that get made to produce comics or wrestling or whatever makes me all the more impressed when good stuff comes out of it. (laughs) When somebody manages to get something good made. you know, It makes me even more impressed by it. I'll tell you though, man, after I left Marvel, I had to like – um, I had to do like rehabilitative therapy on my critical faculty, uh, because I had, so it's, it's a few things, right? Like, um, not everything that, not everything that any editor puts out is great. That's just the simple fact of the matter. Sure. Right. Um, for one reason or another, and there, like, as I said before, there are a lot of variables. Um, but in order to like cut down on the cognitive dissonance of you working this job where you work really like excessive hours and you're not getting paid very well in a very expensive city you have to justify it to yourself and the way you do it is by saying oh well i'm making good i'm doing good work that's how i did it at Mm -hmm. least right um and so in order so in order to believe that though you've got to lower your critical faculty enough to be like oh yeah all this stuff is great everything i'm working on is great (laughs) right and uh that combined with reading you know i got comp bundles when I worked at Marvel. And so I read everything Marvel published unless it was just really atrocious and I couldn't keep up with it. Uh, and I read a lot of DC stuff too. And I read all the indie stuff that I was reading at the time as well. And you know, I, I think that it's a very real thing and comic book readers do this to themselves all the time is they consume so much because it is just, it is a collector and a consumer mentality that drives a lot of the industry. People consume so much that they, 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 they stop honing those taste buds you know what I'm saying? And they stop really I know really, exactly what you're saying. They stop they stop really I'm trying to think of a good analogy but like um that doesn't sound like an elitist asshole thing to say. But like yeah, like I like you can't fully appreciate what's really good if you're just drinking swill all the time, you know? Well, I, I mean if if I were to relate
0: to to my own thing, I am the guy on my show who is known as the one who hates everything or who hates <laughs> fun, I believe is the moniker I got. But the way that I always looked at it is that like you know, if you're really going to love something, there's going to be other stuff you can't like. And that always puts that into relief. You know, so if you know, like, oh, these are not necessarily bad, but, you know, it's not the special thing. That When you find that special thing, that really good thing, that sort of wonderful artist, you know, then you, you know, oh, that really is a thing. Because you feel like
1: everything. What's the point? Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think the trick, though, I mean, so I was that guy for a really long time, too. I was that guy when I worked at Marvel. And I think part of it is just being a younger guy sure. and just full of – piss and vinegar and other you know, <laughs> bodily fluids. Uh but I, I think I got a reputation for being like I know I did around the offices as being this Debbie Downer anti just <laughs> hating everything, right? And just really sour on everything. And it, it was because I had that, I had that thought process, but then I took it to the extent of like, Oh, well, you know, we need to, we all need to like cultivate our critical faculties and we need to, we, you know, this is our job. Our job is to determine what is good and to make things that are good. So we, we have to be constantly questioning and like have the, like the highest, most rigorous standards. And I think that the thing that I learned, that doesn't much sound like later, Marvel comics. Uh, <laughs> it was when I was there. It sure. was when I was steering the ship. Uh, but no, as, as an assistant editor, uh, But like the thing that I learned much later, that I wish I had learned sooner, and I wish somebody had like sat down and explained to me, is that yeah, man, you don't have to like everything. In fact, don't like everything. That's stupid, right? And it's a lie, you know. If you do, Um, but what's the point of talking about things you don't like? Totally. Like honestly, like what's the point, right? Like you're not like, and, and people say, oh, well, you know, you need to have critics and reviewers. Yeah, you're not Roger Ebert, right? You're you're a guy on you're a guy on Twitter with 140 characters, right? And it's not so much like a, a moral thing of like, oh, you can't say bad things about art that you don't like. It's more just like a mental health issue for me. It's it's, it's A, a mental health issue, right? Because it just, it stresses me out if I'm talking about shit that sucks all the time. And B, it's a it's a branding decision too, right? Like not to be like asshole marketer guy, but no, I, people don't like, people who complain all the time are not well-liked right? Nobody wants to hear that. People would much rather hear you yammer about stuff you really dig than stuff you really hate. And that's kind of been like the guiding philosophy on my, my wrestling talk show mm-hmm. for the past three years is, you know, I mean, it's, we started off only talking about raw, right? Which is now, which is a three hour show. And the thing I always said was like, listen, it's a three hour show and it's got, they employ some of the best wrestlers in the world. There's gotta be something good on it every week and not everything's good. And it's not good from start to finish it's never good from start to finish but that's fine we'll just talk about the good stuff and it's it's a much more it's a much more gratifying way to look at things and also honestly i found that i learn a lot more by looking at things that way like i would rather instead of like picking apart and nitpicking and critiquing something i would much rather talk about why something's good you know and that goes for wrestling and comics sure. and tv and movies and music Like i would much rather you know I mean, because i think that's more interesting and also i think it's illuminating for me as a creator, right? If I know, okay, well, this is a good wrestling match, and what's good about it? Like, what works? Okay, well, how can I use that in my writing? Like, that's a that's a much more educational thing for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Let me. I'm. Um, I want to get to Straight Shoot, um, mm-hmm. but let me table it for a minute and put a button on the uh, on the on the Marvel stuff and actually comic editing. Um, but so now, in retrospect, as yeah. you look back at that time, sort of working working there you know, the sort of big mainstream machine of comics, what, like, what did you, what do you think you pulled out of it now that you didn't realize at the time? Like, like as you're looking back at it, like that is helping you now make comics or even make content, you know, in other sort of forms.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Hey, just, I I should have said this up front, just like, um, to put like a timeline on things, just so people know, uh, I started, I started working as assistant editor and one of the first books I was credited on was House of M, right. It was like issue three or four (laughs) of House of M, right. And then I was at the big retreats where we planned Secret Invasion, and I was involved with, like, the planning for Brand New Day for Mm Spider-Man, right? So just just so people understand timeline, right? Yeah. Just roughly. So I was was there throughout all the Civil War stuff and, um, you know, like the One Last Day. Is that what it's called? One More Day. One Final – One More Day? Was that it? Whatever. Who cares? It was One More – Brand New Day and
0: One More – I don't know. They had to explain something. It doesn't matter. It it. doesn't matter.
1: But, yeah, so uh, – They they You. That was me stalling to answer your question. Uh, I think the thing, the biggest takeaway from me, and like this wasn't a thing that I really realized at the time, but it's something I keep in mind always. Now, whenever I'm replying to an e- email from an editor, whenever I'm reading something from an editor, um, whether it's notes or scheduling, or I'm waiting to hear back from somebody, you mentioned it earlier. Like a lot, uh, they're really young. A lot of them are really young. A lot of them don't haven't had a chance to really figure things out yet, and. Um, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> it sounds like, a, like, I mean, everybody deserves the benefit of the doubt, but Totally, definitely young assistant editors deserve the benefit of the doubt because they're getting pulled in a million directions. Uh, they are, a lot of them, it's their first or second job, um, which I don't know, think about me talking to you, but also people listening, uh, think about your first or second job and what a nightmare you were at that. Right. <laughs> like, uh, that's one of the things I keep in mind. And also that, um, their jobs are difficult and stressful and you know the reward is putting something good out but everything it's a slog to get there right so i i take very seriously um my relationship with my editors and i strive to be an absolute delight to work with <laughs> because i remember because i worked with a bunch of fucking assholes, a bunch of flaming assholes who I'm not, I won't, I won't name, I'll, name, I'll tell I'll tell you after we're off the air, I'll give you the, the comprehensive list. A lot of them are still working. A lot of them are still in the industry and they were dicks and I will never have anything to do with them. I will never work with them because I think it says a lot about somebody when you're making as much money as some of, some of the, like the talents at Marvel and DC, like writing, and drawing these mainstream books, as much money as they're making for them to turn around and be rude and disrespectful for no reason to a 22-year-old kid is unconscionable that makes you a bad person and i you know so that that's the biggest takeaway for me um don't be a dick to your editors
0: what's well, really interesting is that if you're talking about how you can learn how to you know work in comics and and get to writing that's relevant
1: you don't realize be a a dick the time. Be your editors
0: well, yeah don't be a dick I mean it's a lesson that a lot of people didn't learn and you don't necessarily need to I think it's one of those like you know be really good be on time be really cool to work with you know pick two that
1: kind yeah. of thing and or uh, or or do three yeah how about that I mean that's I mean I think that's like that's that was my real takeaway is like I mean because people said that all the time sure. right be really good be really fast or be really nice um okay I'll try and do all three how about that and then you then you have no excuse not to hire me yeah right and so yeah, man, I don't miss deadlines. I get stuff done early, if at all possible, right? I, um, I am, a, I, I recognize, you know, another thing, uh, there were a lot of people I worked with who they were convinced that, you know, experienced veteran writers, new writers, everything in between, um, they came in all stripes, but they were folks who believed that their first idea was the best idea always, <laughs> always, always, always. And so any note they fought you tooth and nail on, um, don't be that guy either that's another thing i've (laughs) i and that's that's a tougher thing right because that requires you to check your ego um but it's a thing like i don't i always take time before i respond to emails with notes right because i have to like process it right and not be that guy that's that's
0: that's really good advice actually and i i mean like i use that daily in terms of like somebody somebody writes something to you and your first instinct is to like
1: No, I did it right. So, like, no. I, this is the way I want it because I'm the writer and you hired me and let me do my job. Yeah. I get it. But I don't know. Sometimes other people have good ideas. People have – de- I would say people have other pe- – other people have good ideas all the goddamn time. That's something I would say. Thank God they do. <laughs> I, I certainly don't have many. I need somebody. Somebody needs to help me out.
0: So, uh, so briefly, I'm going to assume that Robert Kirkman was not one of those flaming assholes because you went to work for him.
1: I did. Yeah, so I worked with Robert on um, Marvel Team-Up. I worked with Robert on Ant-Man. I worked with Robert on Destroyer, Max. I started that book. And so that came out after I left. Um, But yeah, I I worked with him a bunch and I really liked working with Robert. We got along really well. And I think a big part of it was um, that guy's from Kentucky and I'm from Virginia. And those are culturally not identical, but much more similar to each other than either are to New York City. Sure. Um, Folks, I don't, you know, I, I think that that, aided our relationship together and yeah we we really enjoyed working with each other and so when i left marvel um i actually he uh, i got we wanted recommendations from people i had worked with but of course i couldn't ask any you know i only had one job and so i couldn't ask anybody at marvel to do it because then they'd find out that i was interviewing elsewhere and so i had to reach out to freelancers it's the only people i'd worked with right um i got howard chaykin and robert kirkman <laughs> to talk that's pretty good right it's pretty good uh, to talk uh, to talk on the phone to World Wrestling Entertainment to give them their testimonials about me, and uh, yes, when Robert, when I told Robert that I was trying to leave Marvel, um, he immediately asked me to come on board and edit um, his image books at the time, which were Walking Dead, Invincible, and Astounding Wolfman uh, with Jason Howard, which was going on at the time, and this was
0: pre Skybound. I was good. That's uh, a big move. That was a big move at the time because you know the image books were. You know, they didn't have a lot of overhead, basically. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think were they're probably... Were they, I assume they were pretty... I guess by the time Astounding Wolfman was
1: out, they were all going pretty well. Yeah, so this was 2005, which was when I... Or, wait, no, 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 2008, 2008, when I left Marvel. Um, And, yeah, so they were, they were doing gangbusters, man. And it was, they were, they were running really well. It was really just, you know, and, you know, Robert didn't, you know, and that's the thing I think a lot of people kind of... um there are two main jobs that an editor does, right? There's traffic cop and there's quality control. Uh, if you're talking about Marvel and DC, you're doing both, right? Really heavily, like in equal amounts. If you're talking about image, uh, I'm sure there are exceptions, but really you're just doing traffic cop, right. right? Because the reason you're working at image is because you want to do your story your way. You don't really want anybody's input. Um, so I was a traffic cop. For I wasn't, you know, I wasn't reviewing outlines for Walking Dead or you know anything like that. Like I would look through I would read through lettering and look for typos and stuff like that. Uh, but I, it wasn't the same job as what I was doing at Marvel. Um and I, because I wouldn't have had time because I was also working at WWE while I was doing that. Um, so I was really more than anything keeping everybody on schedule to make sure the books could come out on time. Because they're being, you know, they're being drawn by Charlie Adler and Ryan Otley and Jason Howard, who those are monthly guys. And so it was really just a matter of keeping everybody on schedule and aware of their dates. And so I did that uh for about two years while I was working at WWE. And Robert wanted to form Skybound. Um and he talked to me about that. And um I had met um David Alpert who I don't know what his actual title at Skybound is, but he's the other top guy at Skybound. Uh, I'd met that guy and they he wanted me to come do Skybound with him, right? To leave WWE and and be his like skybound top editorial guy. Um, but I felt like I just left. Like I, (laughs) I had stopped editing comics for a reason, right. To, to write comics. And so I, I turned it down. Was the, was the, was the writing on the wall
0: with, with, uh, the walking dead at that point. Could you see like, Oh, this is going to be a thing or did you just seem? Yeah.
1: I mean, like I think there was news about the TV deal and stuff too. Like I knew that that was happening and like, he had talked to me like throughout the process about like what things were. So i had like been hearing, you know, what, like bits and pieces about what that uh, that process and the development and stuff was like. Um, so, I, yeah, I knew that was going to happen, but like, but, but, you know, I wasn't being, I wasn't being asked to go work on the Walking Dead TV right. show. No, yeah, no. I, 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 I just mean, like
0: the, yeah, I guess sort of the phenomenon of the thing. Cause it, if you look back at it, like it was just one uphill, it's still going that way, which is, yeah. it's fascinating. And, and, you know, if you've ever, you have, but like if anybody's ever talked to Robert, like, He's got a folksy exterior, but he's he's a genius. Like he's a really yeah. smart business person. Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah, really savvy. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think anybody expected it to do as well mm-hmm. well as it did. Probably not even Robert, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, even if I had known that, again, like I I didn't want to be editing comics sure. anymore, right? And like, and truthfully, I you know, I if I wanted and this, is something I told him too, I was like, listen, man, if I wanted to be editing comics still, I'd I'd be at Marvel like I wouldn't have left Marvel. You know? Um so which is true. You know, if that's if that's what I wanted to do, I was already in, you know, one of the best places to be doing it.
0: Yeah. So. It's just I think it's interesting to be at sort of that point in a cultural history. I mean, you were I mean, it's funny cuz you were you've been in a couple of those. I mean, if you yeah. if you look back at, you know, if you were at Marvel, you know, during the Civil War, you were, you know, I worked on all those books, before. man. I know. So you were with with Kirkman just before the the walking dead TV show like you've seen some shit.
1: Yeah, man, in the trenches, and where the bodies are buried. No, I don't know. It's it's nothing. It's nothing scandalous. But yeah, no, no, I know. Uh, Yeah, it's just. Did you? I mean, like,
0: Kirkman's a smart guy. Like, what did you take from him, in terms of sort of your comic book career?
1: I don't know, man. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm not Robert, right? And I'm not the type of writer he is. And I'm not. um, I don't know. I'm just not Robert. Um, I think that this. One of the smartest things about Robert, and I don't think people talk about this enough, is, I mean, it's the, it's the smart thing about anybody who's truly successful. And it's not, you know, it's not so much their ideas, it's not so much the opportunities they've gotten, it's not so much the, you, you know, what they did A, B, C, and D to get here. It's not, I mean, like, all that stuff plays a role, sure. But the most important thing is when you have an opportunity, you grab it and you squeeze the fucking life out of it. Right? Um, and so it's... So that's been a big takeaway for me. Right. And something I've tried to really um, embody with G.I. Joe. Right. Which was a really big deal for me and is still a really big deal for me. Right. To be writing. You know, I've been kicking around comics um, since, you know, 2004. Right. I started working professionally in comics. Right. So it's been a minute. uh, But to a lot of people, I'm you know, an unknown quantity, right? Because I haven't really written that much published stuff, lots of short stories here and there. Which is the
0: point I made at the beginning of
1: this conversation, not calling you old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I I knew getting G.I. Joe, getting a ongoing series, right, of an established franchise, right, uh, that's been around for decades, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a really big deal. And it's a thing that people, writers who have been, you know, writing more for longer than I have are still kind of working towards, right? Like it's, it's not a guaranteed thing. And I knew that that was a huge opportunity, and I knew that that was my opportunity, right? Just like Robert doing a zombie book that out of nowhere got way bigger reception and response and critical acclaim than anybody would have imagined from a fucking zombie book in whatever year that started up, right? Two thousand four. Mm-hmm three, something like that. Yeah. Like just, and th- that was his opportunity. That was his window. You know, like GI Joe was a really big, like leap forward for me. And I've been trying, I've been doing my best to, you know, not just, you know, cause it's not just a matter of writing the best book you can, because that's not, um, oh dude, I'll give you another Chris Radke thing. Um, our mutual friend, Chris Radke, uh, when I was working for him at UGO, you know, he was talking to me about how it used to be that your job was done once you wrote something. Now your job is done once everybody's seen it. <laughs> Right. And I mean, it's a very Radke thing to say, if you know him, we just restricted our audience huge just to people who know Chris Radke. But it's true. Right. And like, that's something I take really seriously just in terms of um, promoting my shit and doing podcasts and doing interviews and doing anything I can to get the word out about this thing, because this is my opportunity. And this is the this is the big step forward.
0: Well, yeah, it used to be the thing about self-publishing or really any kind of writing was, you know, the hard work was getting the thing done. And now that's I'm going to say 40, 45 percent of the work tops. You know, there's so much competition. There's like because I work in self-publishing. I worked, you know, in in, uh, self-published digital comics for a while, which is a grave mine, graveyard of just failure.
1: (laughs) It's a grave mine. It's worse. It's worse than a graveyard. It's just a grave mine. They just dump the bodies down into it in a quarry. You step
0: on it and it explodes. But but the point is, like, there would be a lot of people who would – put their book up and be like, how come no one's buying it? I'm like, oh, you don't have the, cl- you don't have the slightest clue. Because who the fuck are
1: you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: because you're nobody. That's why. Yeah. That was it's not true. the official response, but that was the intent. Um, <laughs> let's go, you know what, let's, let's, let's skip ahead uh, to, uh, I don't want to go right to G.I. Joe, but so how did you, I know that you've done a bunch of comic projects here and there, but certainly not, you know, you couldn't live on it uh, for, right. for a while. Was your mind always like what? What do you want to do with comics? Like what? What was your idea? What was your plan to go through and and get comic book work?
1: Man, so when I left Marvel, you know my my plan was to do what you know everybody was doing at the time, which was you get an image book, right? Um, you bootstrap yourself up with that, mm-hmm. and then everybody realizes how brilliant you are, and then Brian Bendis invites you to his um, Call of Duty <laughs> games <laughs> on Xbox Live, and then. Bingo bango dunzo, you're writing a Marvel event, right? Like that's that was for me, like I thought that was like the path and that's what I needed to be doing. Um, and I tried for years to get uh an image book done. Um, it was a nightmare. Um <laughs> because like as you can probably imagine, as people uh, I feel like probably a lot of people listening to your show have worked on submissions or tried to work with artists or tried to work with writers, and um it's terrible. It's awful um because I mean, at least for me, because I didn't have money to pay people, right? If you've got this, you know, steady other job and you've got money to hire people, I'm sure it's a lot easier. But I didn't. And so I was asked I had to ask people to work on spec, um, or you know, for nothing, for peanuts, right? And inevitably, and again, I'm not gonna name you the names, but like a lot of them are working at Marvel and stuff now. Um, these guys, like I would find you know, I would go digging around, I would go to cons, I would go to DeviantArt, I would, you know, hang like troll Twitter and like look at um like images and reach out to people and talk them up and talk on the phone and develop story ideas and write scripts and plots and outlines and go back and forth and make sure it's something they wanted to draw. And I'd send it to them and then uh, I wouldn't hear from them for two or three months and they wouldn't respond to me. And then I'd see their name and like solicits because I got a Marvel gig. Right. Um, that happened to me all the time. And I, I don't know, like the the silver lining is that I have had I have great taste, Josh. Right. I, I was, I've, I've, I've actually I've noticed
0: that. <laughs> all through this, I've been thinking that. Wow, you're a little ahead of your time on some of that stuff. Which, yeah. which, by the way, for a guy who is as young as you going to comics, that's actually really impressive.
1: Because it took me, I think, a lot longer to sort of be like, "Oh, this is what's good and why." Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a takeaway from Marvel, though, dude. Spending three years every single day working at comics and figuring out what. I remember one time, like, I just didn't get it. I was like Tom Brevor. I was like Tom. What makes a good anchor? Because I have no idea, sure. right? Like I, I like I could tell you the difference. I like that you're
0: between... in the job and ask that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean that's – dude, it's on-the-job training, right? Sure. That's what happens. You can hire 21-year-old kids right out of college who um, have no artistic training or background, right? So you have to learn all that stuff. But um, yeah, like I – it was a nightmare, and I, I, I couldn't get people to work with me. And then I did get people to work with me. I couldn't get them to finish the job. And then on the like a few occasions where I actually got them to finish the job, I sent it off to image and I knew Eric Stevenson from working at um, Kirkman. I'd send it off to Eric and he'd say, nope. And there you go. <laughs> and like, and now there are a lot more options, right? There's boom, IDW will take creator stuff, black mask. Like at the time there weren't really, if you wanted to do truly creator own stuff. And also I had, I knew too that like, I mean, I think there were uh, some other places, but They were not well regarded, and yeah, they weren't.
0: They weren't stepped because I mean, I was basically doing the same thing you're talking about at the same time. Yeah, it sucks. It Uh,
1: sucked. It sucked, and it it (laughs) blew me out of
0: it. Like I was like, "All right, I I quit. I give."
1: Yeah, I mean, and like I, I thought that was gonna be the path, just because that was the path that I'd seen so many folks follow. And you'd even seen them up close
0: to be like, "Well, they're not even that good." So wait, say again. You'd even (laughs) seen a lot of them up close to be like, "Well, they're not even that good." So yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I'll be fine. (laughs) And some of these are really, some of these guys are really rude to me on the Internet um, or on email. <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to do that. But, yeah, um, it it sucked. And I did that for years. And I would get, you know, and the other thing that was really frustrating, too, as a guy trying to break in is, you know, I would get a short story here or there or I would do like a Marvel licensed comic or I would do like a DC backup or I did a um, me and Zach Howard did a king. So at DC, I was I did like a I did a. Superman back up like for like an 80 page giant or 100 page giant. I don't know how, how big the particular giant was. Um, and then I did, and people everybody liked it. Everybody said really nice things. Everybody's super into it. And so the next thing, I got a one shot. It was like a Secret Six fill in. Um, and I did it with Zach Howard. And it was all about um, King Shark in his native Hawaii, uh, doing, like I did the glottal stop uh, in his native Hawaii. And uh, just doing crazy King Shark thing. It was just monster fights and stuff. It was super fun. It was going to be like a nice palate cleanser between like arcs of Secret Six or whatever. And then they decided to relaunch the whole – to do the new 52. And so they had to cancel Secret Six. And I heard, oh, King Shark is going to be in – and then the whole thing's drawn, right? The whole thing is finished, right? Penciled and inked. And then they announced that he's going to be in Suicide Squad I think is what it was. So I was like, oh, cool. And I went to go look at the art and they changed him from a great white to a hammerhead shark making our entire issue unpublishable. Oh. So they would have had to go with like like they would have, like they would have had to pay Zach to do like a patch on every panel of the page because it was just about King Shark, right? So that happened and that was like like I'm getting frustrated just thinking about it. I was right going to say now. like you you're just the way that you're talking about it now is is laudable.
0: You you I was like, "Are oh, you still doing mugs?" I'd be starting to get angrier.
1: Well, I was, I
0: mean, I was furious. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, how could I not be? Because that was supposed to be because I had done everything I had done everything I was supposed to do. Sure. Right. Like I, I had so. worked at Marvel. I had learned how things work. I had been working on pitches. I've been making connections. I did a short story everybody liked. So they gave me a longer story. And I was fully, man, it was so good. And everybody really enjoyed it. And my in my head, I believed, you know what? In six or eight months, I'm gonna be writing an ongoing. Right? Because mm-hmm. they're gonna give me they're gonna give me a limited series after this. And that's going to be really good. And I'm just on my way. This is it. It's happening. And it just got derailed immediately. And, you know, that's that happened a lot. Right. With yeah. short stories that everybody liked and spoke highly of and then never heard from people ever again. Um, so, yeah, that was years, man, um, of I don't know, I'm not going to list all the rando short stories and stuff I did for places, yeah. but I, I will list the publishers. How about that? Uh, Marvel, DC, IDW, um, Image, um, Viz, I I was writing volumes of like these kids like it was like this it doesn't matter I was writing these volumes for Viz, (laughs) like I was writing. I was writing a ton of stuff but it just never led to anything bigger and sustainable that's crazy and it's not uncommon I mean like that's that's a thing no not at all not at all I mean that's why I'm not angry about it now because it's just it's a thing like you know I told you and you said oh yeah I was doing the exact same thing I mean everybody is it's tough it's very difficult
0: so what, uh, how do you start doing Street Fighter G.I. Joe?
1: Oh, um, so that's the funny thing, right? Um, the reason I started doing G- Street Fighter G.I. Joe wasn't the fact that I had edited for three years at Marvel Comics. It wasn't the fact that I worked on the most successful crossovers that Marvel Comics has done in the modern era. It wasn't that I had worked on fan-favorite books like Ghost Rider and Punisher War Journal and Ant-Man and Blade. It wasn't that I worked on Walking Dead and Kick-Ass and Invincible. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was the fact that I had built up a podcast soapbox for myself talking about professional wrestling. And one of the things that I harped on all the time was um, fight-based storytelling, right? That's like an Aubrey term. But um, you know, the act of telling an actual story through a fight, which is something I think that good wrestling does better than absolutely anybody. And most other mediums spend little to no time considering how to do it, right? And I think like, this is my big... Um, uh, fuselade at uh, comics, right? Uh, It's so many comic book fights are just uh, hero shoots villain with eye beams or plasma blasts, villain shoots him back, and then eventually one of them shoots each other or punches each other harder, and then they win, right? There's no actual narrative to the stories themselves, Mm -hmm. and so you miss out on this opportunity to really communicate all this information about character and theme and plot and... Um, like, what's going on with these characters' inner lives, right? And that's a thing that I harp on all the time. And, I mean, I guess there is a connection to Marvel, right? Which is that um, I knew John Barber from my Marvel days, um, who has since left IDW, but at the time was, I think he was a senior editor at IDW. Um, and, you know, when they had this Street Fighter versus G.I. Street Fighter G.I. Joe idea, um, they, they were trying to figure out what this thing even is, right? Because Capcom had come to them and said, hey, we want to do... Street Fighter G.I. Joe. And I think probably solely because of those old toys in the 90s. Right. They had done like a line of Street Fighter G.I. Joe toys and they didn't really know what this thing was going to be. And he reached out to me and was like, oh, would you know what to do with this? And I said, yeah, I know exactly what to do with this. It's King of the Ring. It's just a tournament. It's just it's a 16 man tournament and they fight each other for five issues. That's that's all it is. And like he, back. he's like, I don't really um, like I said, like a pitch and then the, he will be back. He's like, yeah, he's like, I think I understand cause he's not a big wrestling guy. Um, and I don't think anybody else who was looking at the pitch was either. And he was like, we don't really understand what you're getting at. It's just going to be fights. And I was like, yeah, 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 let me show you. And so I built out the brackets. I built out the brackets of like how every fight was going to go. And I described every fight, right. In terms of like who was going to win and most importantly, how, mm-hmm. and how it was going to play into the larger narrative that was going to develop over the course of watching these fights. And that's all it was It was just fights. And so yeah, man. I mean, I got that gig because I had. I mean, so there's another big Aubrey learning from, um, you know, the past decade. Getting where you fit in, right? Find find where you can where you can actually get some leverage and get some traction and get it, <laughs> and fucking get it, and don't give it up and hang on to it. And that's I mean, because that's the thing, man. Like I, I, I it took me doing. A popular wrestling podcast to get noticed by comics, which is insane because I've been working in comics since 2004.
0: I need to get another kind of popular podcast then. Yeah, you should have it's gone like wrestling. Because it would make <laughs> sense that if you were well known in comics and knew everyone in comics, that that would work. I can tell you it
1: doesn't. No, I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, that's what we are talking about earlier. I mean, I think there is the stigma of like somebody getting out of their lane.
0: Yeah, no, it makes, I mean, like I think, talking to you all this, I'm like, right, I see. I see yeah. why this all
1: dude, it's why I've it's why I have always, 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 and I've had ample, ample, ample opportunities. I've never worked in comic book journalism. Never. Um and and I've 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 turned down gigs doing it. I've turned down full time jobs doing it. Um because for me that always felt like an that always felt like a skeezy ethical conflict mm-hmm. um to be covering the thing that you're trying to do. Right. Totally. Um but also i i know that i it, it was also like a self-serving so it, it felt uncomfortable to me but it was also a self-serving thing because i know that you know that would be another mark against me not only was i a former editor but i was also a former journalist mm-hmm. yeah i um, mean totally. i think i think that I, I if i may like i think that that's a, a thing that probably applies to you too which is that like you know, if somebody were to see a pitch from—and this isn't, you know, just because of you—I think this is just how people's brains work. Sure. If a, if a pitch comes in and says Josh Flanagan at the top, and they know you from iFanboy, fanboy, they say, "Oh, this is a podcaster's pitch. This guy's a podcaster. Yeah. He's a he's a comics podcaster. He's not a comic book writer." Um, and that's—I and don't think this is just comics. I think this just how people's no brains totally work, right because they 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 funnel you into whatever categories, or whatever, and that's how they see you.
0: You know, what's funny though is that I think that there's 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 validity in that because there are a lot of people there are a lot of people who got into talking about comics cuz they wanted to make comics they figured a that ton. would make sense more every day
1: more every day man i mean like yeah. the entirety the entire i mean like it's it's defunct now so i think i can say this but like the entirety of comics alliance sure like everybody who's ever written for comics alliance was trying to get into some other aspect of comic book production or or to a aspect of comic book production you know yeah it was, and it's funny because, like, that was never a
0: thing. I, I didn't do it that way. The two things came up. Like, we started doing iFanboy when we were kids, basically, and we just kept doing it. We just didn't stop. And it got to be a thing, and then it then it was a thing. And, like, in the middle of that, I learned everything – not everything. I learned, like, a ton about comics and what I liked about them, what I wanted to do. So it was really concurrent, but, you know, in retrospect, not the best path. But And this is not – I'm not – not even a regretful thing it's just sort of a an analytical like oh that's interesting
1: no i mean i think it's useful i mean like and none of this stuff is um like i hope nobody listened to this is like oh fuck i wrote i i wrote an article for comics alliance now i can never become a comic book writer or whatever <laughs> like no that's absurd right like i'm i i was an editor at marvel yeah. and now i'm writing ongoing gi joe and uh do Doc specter stuff at dynamite and some other unannounced things um yeah i mean like it's it's but it's not it's not a i mean i think the, the biggest takeaway is that it's not Like you get a definite benefit, right? And your benefit, the benefit is that, you know, a lot about like by becoming an editor or doing journalism or whatever, like the benefits are that you learn a lot about comics and just as importantly that you meet a lot of people in comics. And so, you know, a lot of folks, right. And those are huge, huge benefits, but they are very much, maybe not completely, but very much mitigated Mm -hmm. by the fact that you will not be, it it will be a struggle for you to be seen primarily as a creator and not as a facilitator or a journalist. Yeah, you are not untainted. Yeah.
0: So uh, it's funny because for a long time with these interviews, what I would do is just talk about making comics because I found that more interesting than saying, well, what happens to Green Lantern at the end of it? And I'm, we're just doing that because that's what I naturally end up talking about because the way that the industry works and the way that comics get made and the the sausage being made, and not even a bad way, is fascinating. There's nothing like it on Earth. It is yeah. the weirdest most convoluted industry that it's wh- should not be.
1: It's wild it's wild too, like to have started my career at comics and then go to wrestling and video games, which do a lot of similar things mm-hmm. as mediums. Like as as industries, they do a lot of similar things and they cater to very similar audiences yeah. as comics, but they go about them in such, such different ways. And really? there's so there is so much more money involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. those two things are very much connected. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's that's definitely a lot of baling wire and twine and duct tape in comics that I don't think.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I mean, that's also so like, that's also one of the great things about comics. It's it's totally right? part of its and, charm, and, and I and I know that. I mean, and it's it's more than just part of its charm. I think it's 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 endemic to what makes comics yeah. great, which is uh, one of the things that makes comics great, which is that there aren't a whole lot of people involved, right? Even yeah. like a, even like on your big assembly line Marvel or DC book, right? right let's like the actual creative team, including the editors, right? Let's say you got, um, you know, your editorial team, which I'll count as one, right? Cause sometimes there's like four editors credited on a book and you know, they weren't all working on it. Right. Um, and then there's a writer, a penciler, an anchor, a colorist, a letter letterer. That's six people. Mm-hmm. That's six people working on a comic. And I know that sounds a lot, like a lot to people who are like web comics purists or, you know, Kirby did it all or whatever, you know, but when you compare that to something like a video game or a wrestling promotion or a movie, it's it's insane how few people work on something, which means that you have um, an an immense, unparalleled amount of creative freedom to do whatever goddamn crazy thing you want to do, which I, I think is more than just part of comics charm. I think it's part of what makes comics a great medium.
0: It, yeah. I mean, it's the thing that you, you can kind of do anything. There's a low
1: barrier to entry, yeah. which is I mean, and, and that's part of it.
0: You Needo. Know. Um. So, uh, so going from Street Fighter, I'm, I'm going, I'm, we're steering us back. Uh yeah. Moving so from Street Fighter back to, uh, back to GI Joe. The next thing up, you're doing another, you did another crossover, and then that turns into an ongoing GI Joe series. So, have you made it now? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, no, Josh. No. So, you know, but, uh, but you know what? GI Joe is a thing that is, that is, you know, a, the person, a boy who is my age, is uh, sort of near and dear to my heart. I've read a bunch of different iterations. I read the 80s comics. I've read, you know, IDW's brought them back a couple of times. Um, and people who listen to us definitely know it too. So I'm reading along, but what do you? What, how do you describe your take on on G.I. Joe now? I know it is different than what many of us are used to.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that's by design, right? And so sure. I – Hasbro really liked what I did with the G.I. Joe characters and Street Fighter G.I. Joe – and they suggested me to write it, uh, to write the new GI Joe coming out of like the revolution crossover and stuff, right. And they asked me you know, IDW asked me for a pitch. Uh, and IDW asked me if I wanted to do it and I said, of course, although honestly, I was kind of a little um, I was kind of a little floored because like I um, I love the GI Joe cartoon and the GI Joe action figures as a kid. Uh, I'm a little younger than you, as I believe we mentioned earlier on. I missed the the 80s. Hama G.I. Joe stuff. I, didn't I read, read that them stuff later. Until, yeah. I mean, I didn't read them until I was an adult. And so they don't really have the same. They're great. And they hold up yeah. way better than most stuff from that era. Totally. Um, but it does. It doesn't have like the, the nostalgic place in my heart that the, the cartoons and the action figures and stuff sure. do. Right. And so I asked IDW to send me the entire run of G.I. Joe that they had done. Right. And I read a lot of that stuff as it was coming out, but not all of it. And I wanted to refresh myself and I wanted to more than anything, make sure that I didn't pitch them something that they had already done before, right? I don't want to be that asshole. So uh, I read everything and I plowed through like 8,000 pages of (laughs) G.I. Joe in like two weeks. And I I got like halfway through it and I emailed John and Carlos, right? John, who was still my editor at the time and Carlos, who uh, would become my editor. Um, I emailed those guys and I said, man, I'm reading this thing and I need to talk with y'all about what you expect from this. Because if what you expect from my G.I. Joe is what you all done before, which is a lot of like real world military stuff and people arguing about like bullet caliber and call signs and Mm -hmm. communications protocol and just like all this like real world military stuff and like setting off nukes and uh, people bleeding out and getting mowed down by gunfire and explosion. Like if that's what you guys want, I don't know if I'm the right guy to do it. I just don't know if I can. And I certainly don't want to. Like, it's just not something that interests me with G.I. Joe. Right. Um, And they replied and they said, no, that's not what we want. (laughs) We've done that. We've we've had a bunch of that. And a lot of it's really good. But that's not what we want right now. Um, And I was relieved to hear that. Um, And that kind of gave in because again, like what they liked, what Hasbro liked about my shoe fair GI Joe was kind of how over the top and for lack of a better term, cartoony it all was. And like every, you know, nobody's interchangeable. Everybody acted and spoke and behaved differently. And they all had specialties. They all had a reason for being there. You know, it wasn't just ah, like a dozen people in fatigues, you know, they, they, and like that's art design too. Right. But that's part of like how we ideated this thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean that really – I felt like I had a mandate to go in the complete other direction because the other big question I asked them when they when they asked me if I wanted to write G.I. Joe was what was going to happen to Larry Hama's series, right? Because that's still going on, yeah. the, the Real American Hero, which is connected to the old 80s Marvel continuity. That still exists, right? And I said, well, what's going on with that? Like it, are you guys killing that? Because that was the only G.I. Joe title at the time. And they said, no, absolutely not. That sells consistently and people really like it. So that's still going to exist. Um, and that relieved me for two reasons. One is I didn't want to be the guy who killed Larry Hama's series, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would, I, I didn't want to be, so this is a deep cut comics reference. I didn't want to be the Roberto Aguirre, Roberto Aguirre, <laughs> to his Mark <laughs> Wade. Right. Do you remember that? Like the fantastic four stuff. Yeah. I didn't want that to happen. And so look it up kids. Look it up. Know your history. Uh, wow. That is uh, really specific, but it's true. I mean, no, like, totally. a, was a, it was very, it was forefront of my mind and I, I didn't want to be that guy. And also, you know, I wanted to make sure that those fans who are, are, in general, older than I am, right, who are very, who are very, very connected to that original 80s Hama Real American Hero stuff. I wanted to make sure they were taken care of because if they weren't taken care of, they were going to come to my book, A, ready to hate it because I had killed, you know, I was the man who killed Larry Hama's book uh, and took his baby away from him. And B, uh, they were going to hate it because I'm doing something very different <laughs> and I want to do something very different. I want to leave. So from the very beginning and I was relieved you know, what's the like? So I already I loved all this, all this stuff, all this planning stuff happened before we had an artist on board, which was unfortunate because I would have loved for Yanni to be there from the beginning, plan out the stories and plots and outlines and stuff like that. Um, but just the nature of comics and especially licensed comics, when you need all these approvals The the time he didn't work on. it. So by the time we got once we got Yanni on board and we had kind of hashed out the gotten approval on the outline everything one of the first conversations with him i was like listen man i don't know what your familiarity is with gi joe but for me it's the it's the sumbo cartoon series like that's what i think of when i think about gi joe and he's and yanni's younger than i am and he was like oh yeah me too and i said perfect um so it's really been a effort to figure out what was good about the sumbo cartoon series and there was a lot that was really good about it and figure out how to make that accessible and acceptable to contemporary comic book readers. Um, and so like the, there were a few big takeaways when I went back and rewatched a lot of those Sunbo's, um cartoons. And one of them was just how optimistic everything is and how these, these are actual real heroes. They're real American heroes, right? But they, they're not backbiting each other. They're not mean to each other. They're not making, they're not making tough moral decisions where there's no right answer no they're heroes and they're confident in their abilities and th- they can save the day without compromising their morals right so that was a big that was a big guiding thing to me the other thing was just how much plot there was in those old sumbo cartoons hmm. and it, it is just from one set piece to another right and the funniest thing about it, and honestly as much as i love the cartoons what i love now what i love more now as an adult are the recaps at the top because they're like 40 seconds and they just It's just a list of crazy-ass shit that happened. Last time on G.I. Joe, Roblox was grabbed by Vines and Fatal Fluffy showed up and then Zartan. And it's just like a list of just lunacy and they have to get it out as quickly as possible because there's another 20 minutes of lunacy coming at you. And so that was a big thing for me is I wanted it just to be constant, big, visual, awesome set pieces. And then the, the final one was, you know, how likable... And young, all of these characters seem to me now, right? Like, as a kid, I was like, these are adults. Yeah. But now, looking back at it, it's like, no, they're kids. And they should be kids because it's military, right? And it's and yeah. so, like, in my head, the G.I. Joe team, they're in their 20s. Like, maybe Scarlet is in her early 30s because she's leading it. But they're young. Um, They're young, and they are happy, and they're having a good time because they're the best in the world. And if you're the best in the world at something, why wouldn't you be having a good time? So that's, like, that was another big takeaway for me. So, like, I... I really tried to design what we're doing on G.I. Joe from the ground up to be, you know, to to really capture what was best about the cartoon series, which is very much opposed to, um, I think, anybody's approach on G.I. Joe up until this point. Um, I I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Yanni and I are we're we're probably not the youngest people to have ever worked on G.I. Joe, but we're the youngest people. Or um, I'm sorry, we're the latest born, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're the late, we're definitely the latest born people to have ever been the GI Joe team, and I think that that's important because we're the first people to be more influenced by the Sunbow cartoon series than the Larry Hama stuff, and I think that shines through. I mean, th- that's the hope at least.
0: Yeah, that's probably about right because I would have been. I mean, I was a, car- I was the cartoon kid. That's what I knew first. So actually, Hama wasn't like I read those. As in, I was twenty-two, probably. My roommate brought home a ripped paper bag that he bought at a yard sale. He's like, "It's all of GI Joe." And he just read <laughs> awesome. them. Amazing. Yeah, and like I didn't know what to expect. And I know other people my age had read them then, but like, and it, we're reading them, and, and that looked like these are why? How are these good? Yeah, really, really good. good. You know, really good. And it's in yeah. retrospect, oh, it's a guy working on all this fucking Vietnam shit. I, I, that that is just peppered all over all of it. Because <laughs> you look backwards, totally. which is fascinating.
1: Um, well, because he had a point of view, you know. Totally, like, I mean, and I think that that's uh, that was not um, unheard of at the time, but it was unusual in you know well, for monthly a, Marvel DC comics. It just wasn't a thing you saw all that often. Well, for a thing that was
0: connected to a toy license, I mean, of course, was, yeah, even more so. That's what's fascinating. So, had so you got to pick your? Did you get to pick your team? Did you know like who you wanted to feature? Was that must yeah? Have been um,
1: yeah, I mean great. they they were. I, did, I I think my editors, John and Carlos at the time, um, they I think they came in with like specific ideas about things like people they wanted there. Right. Um, and but I was already planning to use them anyways. Right. Because, you know, like here's the thing. Uh, and this is this is an area where I I think I, I really benefit from. My time at Marvel, which is that, you know, no, again, no creative exercise except for painting Buffalo on the wall of a cave that nobody ever sees. None of it is completely pure and untainted by other people and marketing and perceptions, and advertisement and stuff like that. And so you need to be aware of that stuff. And so I kind of went in with like a real holistic approach. I mean, the fact of the matter is I'm not a big snake eyes guy, right? Hmm. Uh, I, and I, I'm not alone in that. I used to think I was alone in that and I'm not right. Um, I, he just doesn't really interest me all that much. I always like Storm Shadow better because he has a better costume and he's actually Japanese. And I just that that seemed cooler to me as a kid. Um, but like, I didn't really want to use Snake Eyes. But because I'm a sane person, I realize you can't do a GI Joe book without Snake Eyes. Right? He's he is he's he's got like a like if you had like a vote of like everybody's favorite GI Joe, he wouldn't have a majority, but he would have a plurality. Right. And that's important. And we shouldn't ignore that. Right? Uh, and so things like like things like Snake Eyes and like I knew he needed to be in there. Um, Helix, I really wanted to include because uh, she was uh, she was created during the last run, like during or during that IDW run. And so I wanted to have something newer. I didn't want it to just be um, the oldest characters, like the first wave of characters or whatever. Um, roadblock, I thought, so Scarlet, I wanted to be the leader just because I thought it was time, right? How many decades has it been? And Scarlet has always been like second banana at best. Scarlet should be the leader. I wanted her. And then once Scarlet became the leader, it's like, okay, well, who's the field leader? Who's out, who's out, you know, running things in the field. And I thought roadblock was cool because. Again, he's a guy who was due for a promotion, I think, right? Like he'd always just been the the muscle and the heavy and carrying that big – lugging that big cannon around. Uh, No, let him be the boss. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to shove him into. Rock and roll I was really excited to use because he was very much a blank slate and his name is Rock and Roll and he's got long hair and a beard. I think that's amazing. Um uh and so like because he's such a blank slate though we were able to do a lot of new weird things with him which i think if you've been reading the series you picked up on some of that yeah quick quick kick i wanted to use uh because i love kung fu movies and i just wanted to have a guy who could do drunken boxing or do horse style or snake style and like do all these like cinematic um kung fu styles and just and use like wacky weapons like the meteor hammer in issue four like that was you know i (laughs) <laughs> i chose him because i wanted these visuals um yeah man it, it was super fun and like i i when i got on the phone with john and carlos i had like a list of questions you know when we were hashing out things for gi joe very very early goings and um i had this list of questions and they said hey before we go on those you go on the list of questions something we were thinking about how would you feel about having a transformer on the team and i said you motherfuckers that was my first question can i have a transformer oh wow and they said and, then, and, and I had written in my notes, I was like, any Transformer, any, just give me the stupidest one. Give me the one that nobody <laughs> wants. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter how stupid they are. They're still a giant robot in the context of G.I. Joe, right, which is uh, amazing and interesting. And they said, well, you you know, who would you want ideally? And I said, well, obviously, I want Starscream because he's the best one, right? And they, because <laughs> he's because he's, you know, he's a traitor and he's like second man. He's got the voice and he's he's a he's a jet. So it makes sense. And they said, well, we can't have Starscream because we're doing things with him. Uh, what about Skywarp? And I said, perfect. And so I, and I've said this a bunch of places, but um, Skywarp, I wanted like I wanted a villainous character, right? Um, because I wanted them to be our Vegeta, which is a Dragon Ball Z reference, right? Um are you a Dragon Ball Z guy? I barely understood that. So no, okay. because so I'll you're you're young. You, this is uh, this is a thing that Dragon, you know, a lot of uh, X-Men does it all the time too, right? Sabretooth. Yeah. um Namor, Magneto, Magneto right? Emma Frost, yeah, the whole. Thing. Yeah, exactly. They do it all the time too. But Dragon Ball Z did it all the time. Practically every villain that was fought in Dragon Ball Z just got defeated and then got reformed and became a good guy. Um, but most of them immediately turned into like goofy comic book relief characters. Most of them, not all, mm-hmm. um, and or got softened because they like they took a real liking to Goku's son, like Piccolo did or whatever, um, and they became lame. And they lost everything that was cool about them, right? Because, like, I mean, in wrestling, there's this idea of a cool heel, right? Um, It's a villain, but it's somebody who you still like because they're funny and they look rad and you can tell they're good at their jobs, right? And so you kind of want to cheer them because of that. And that's what Vegeta was. Um, But... They had the good sense with Vegeta not to immediately soften him, and that guy stayed a real crusty, salty asshole for a really long time on G.I. Joe. And so that's the character. I, that's that, That's the piece that I wanted out of Skywarp mm-hmm. in G.I. Joe.
0: I, I guess I, for me, the immediate visual of it works so well because he's so much larger than them. <laughs>
1: And he's like a, right. a jet.
0: No, the jet is like like I was I'm I'm remember those being introduced and think, well the jets look cooler than everything and literally not being able to afford that one. Yeah. Like, oh that was twenty five dollars. <laughs> I can't get that one. But there's that but there is the visual of like they're huge and it doesn't even make sense. Practically, like where would he go? Where would he
1: be? Well they're in a they're in the converted nemesis, which is the the ship that the <laughs> The Decepticons brought to the US or to America, to America, uh, the world
0: earth. So there's I, room, right? I just, I just like the idea of being on the team with a guy and you come up to his ankle and you have to be like, Hey, pay too. attention to me. And he already looks down on them anyway.
1: It makes for funny. It makes for really funny visuals. And this is a cool thing about comics too. Um, because if you were doing that in a film, I mean, and I know the, the Transformers films do that and I've, I've only seen the first one cause I don't like them. Um, but it's always weird. Right. Like it's always like you, you need like Bumblebee to like get down on a knee to chit chat with Shia LaBeouf or whatever. It's always just very awkward and stilted because otherwise you have to pull the camera back so far to make this thing work. But with comics, there's all these ways around it. Right. You can do these like like these jagged diagonal panels to show them talking to each other and like interacting with each other. Um, or you can do uh, what smart comic book artists do all the time is they cheat and they, they draw things that are impossible. Right. like That's one of the great things about comics is things don't have to be consistent panel to panel. In fact, sometimes you're better served by them not being consistent panel to panel. And so I I've seen some people complain about it, which tickles me. It, it, it thrills me um, because it's something that I love. But, you know, of course, Yanni doesn't draw him consistently scaled in every panel because it would be stupid. It would be lo- it would be lousy if he did that. And you don't need to because Megatron is never the right size. So it's fine. No, dude, there's precedent. Uh, like, this is one of my pet peeves. And I, I think like, um, so I'm a huge Liefeld fan of his art and the guy. I love that guy. Um, <laughs> but um, so there's just something it's important for people to know about me. Get it right out there. Um, that tracks. What, that makes sense to me. I, I can. I yeah, can, no, yeah. I mean, it, it all fits together. Uh, but one of the things that I think like is there are a lot of stupid things that people say about Liefeld and his art, but one of the stupidest is, well, look at that costume. That's impossible. And you know, it, when you look at it in this panel, it's got this pouch here, but then you look at that panel and there's no way that that pouch could be there because logically – who cares? Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Because it's not a movie. If this is a movie, yeah, that would be a concern, but it's not. It's a comic book. So as long as each moment holds its own and looks awesome and serves the role that it's supposed to in the book – it doesn't matter, right? Right, Josh. I uh, uh, yes, that's correct. Get me yelling about Liefeld. Do it. <laughs> I have. You no... already did. It's done. It's done.
0: Listen, everybody has a, a taste, and that's fine.
1: Everybody has a taste.
0: <laughs> that's uh, if he's he's in your taste. That that all <laughs> seems to track. That's fine. It's not necessarily my thing, but I understand. Fine. A that's younger sad. me, a younger me would've been like, "Oh, that sucks." Now I go. Yeah, okay, I see that. That's fine. Yeah. I don't have time to be upset about what other people like. <laughs> You're not going to bait me. No, so, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't how, dare. I wouldn't dare. How long uh, How long have we got this G.I. Joe thing going on? Like how far out are you planned?
1: Uh, well, it's going on until they kick me off of it. Right. Um, and I am planning year two right now. Nice. Yeah. This is as much fun as I think it should be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's It's... <laughs> It's a thrill. I got to I was I read issue six lettering today and I looked at um, Yanni's issue seven pencils today. And it's a treat. It's it's amazing. Yeah, man. I mean it's and the, the team is so good. I mean, Yanni's I was a fan of Yanni's from Prophet, which I loved. Um, I, I think I actually worked with Lover, who's our colorist, Lover and um, I worked with him at Marvel. I think he colored some stuff that Paul Pope did for us. Um, but yeah, dude, like those guys have created an aesthetic for mainstream action adventure comic and mainstream us action adventure comics i don't think anybody's seen before um and it's it's one of the biggest so for me writing you know there's a bunch of different comic stuff i'd like to do right and i'm doing a big non-fiction graphic novel right now at um at like a trade publisher that's unannounced I, I wish i could i'll tell you about it offline mm-hmm. um but i'm doing that i'm doing some mini series i'm doing like the doc specter backups for dynamite and all that stuff is great and i love it and i'm you know i really fortunate right now to be working only on things that I'm passionate about and actually give a shit about right which is which is new for me and I think it's unusual for most people right because this capitalist system we'll get into that offline man uh, man um, capitalism is what I call it but um, I'm really fortunate but there's a reason like I, for me writing an ongoing series an ongoing monthly series that's the Holy Grail that's the best way to do this job because you get a chance to grow. Right. If you write a graphic novel, you it gets drawn. But if you write a monthly comic, you get to take into account, you know. So not not only have I learned how to write for Yanni and Lovern better, like my scripts now are very different than they were initially because I didn't know how to work with those guys. Mm-hmm. Now, now I you know, and we've, as a team, we've discovered things that we can do really effectively, like just little little, little techniques and tricks and stuff that we can, that I'll, I will call for now. And I'll be like, "Lover, do this thing with the colors that I see you do sometimes, right? Do that in this panel. Um, and like, and I'll build moments, I'll build sequences, building to that, knowing that he can do that and what it's going to look like. And that's something I couldn't have done in the, in the beginning. And I couldn't do if it wasn't a monthly serialized book. Additionally, you know, we get to we get this to see people's reactions and we get to see who people like and who they don't like and what they respond to. And if people like, you know X, Y, and Z. Well, guess what? The next script I write is going to have some X, Y, and Z in it, right? <laughs> and, and like, I love having the freedom to uh, be nimble, you know, and adjust. It's
0: interesting because you have been so close to so many sort of ongoing projects, but this is the first one you've actually been in charge of creating.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and it's it's something I think about a lot. I mean, and it's something I thought about a lot in building up to it in terms of what I wanted this thing to be. And what I wanted it to be more than anything was I want it to be, you know, I want it to be the best GI Joe comic, but I also want it to be the best ongoing comic. And I, I didn't want it to feel like, okay, well here are these six issues and then there's these six issues and boom, now it's the next thing I really or and I didn't even want it to feel like single issues. I want it to feel like a soap opera. Right. And that's, that's the wrestling fan in me too. Right. That like um, wrestling, wrestling's not about wrestling's less about, big moments. Um I mean and this is like this is very like mercenary and I think that's okay sometimes, right? When you talk about storytelling because at the end of the day, you know, like whether you're whether you're a comic book writer or whether you're a wrestling promoter or whatever, your goal is to get people to come keep coming back, right? Your goal is to hook them, right? And the way you do that is by is by like you doing these two opposite things, right? Giving them what they want um, but in a way that they didn't expect, and also refuse and also making them expect things and then not giving it to them, right? Because you need a reason to come back next month. If I just wrote an issue where it just you got everything you wanted, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. And you'd never think about it again. But instead, the goal is to write an issue that gives you some things that you liked, but in a way that you weren't expecting it, right? So it surprises you a little bit. And then also set up expectations for stuff that's going to happen in later issues, right? Which I, that sounds so remedial when I say it, but I think it's a thing that I, I don't think it's. Again, I haven't worked in the industry as long as I have. I don't think it's—I don't think that's the way that a lot of people look at comics, right? They look at it as, oh, let's let's sit down and tell my perfect six-issue arc, right? And I'm not really as interested in that right now, especially not with GI Joe. What I'm interested in with GI Joe is hooking people each and every month and building on the complexity of this thing, so that when people like every every month that the, the comic comes out, and I've started to see this happen, I want people to say, oh, wow, they've been planning this from the beginning. There's references to this in the very first issue. He knows what he's doing. And he's um, – there's a really great review on uh, Newsarama, um that Justin Partridge did. And he said that, you know, he, he, and I, the thing I loved about it and the thing that stuck with me Are you going to read he,
0: somebody else's review to me?
1: No, I'm going to paraphrase it. Okay. Uh, and he said, he said, he said that, uh, you know, he said that I'm like slowly turning over the cards. I mean, and that's very much the intended um, response. Right. Is like, you should feel like, Oh, like it's like watching a magician or something. Right. Where like, you don't know what they're doing at first. Cause they're just yammering and they're talking and they're doing like little hand flourishes and they're showing you the cards and you're picking one and stuff. It's like, where's this going? And then when they finally show you the trick, it's not even the trick you expected. It's something else, but it's something they've been building to all along. That's, Fun. that's, that's ongoing serialized comics. That's what they should be. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, run with it, man. Yeah, man. That's the idea.
0: So, uh, this was, you were starting to talk about this, and this is one thing that I was gonna put down because I know that you are you are a wrestling guy. That's the very obvious statement to make, and I'm not not yeah. not against it, not or whatever. But I want you to tell me what it is that you love about
1: wrestling. Oh man. Um how long are we going on this podcast?
0: Not you don't get <laughs> You've gotta You've been talking about Jesus. this a long time. So you must be able to distill it to a certain point. Yeah. Um I, do. I find that like i i i can see that there's you know it's there's there are parallels with comics there's a lot of things going on there and i see a lot of comics people also you know have a thing for wrestling and and i tend to think of your your show as similar to maybe not in format or anything but a similar philosophy on on wrestling that that i fanboys always had on comics i think
1: so like, in a way uh, of looking at it here's here's what i like about wrestling it's not what everybody likes about wrestling and i would be, i would even go further and say, it's not what most comic book fans like about wrestling. I think that, so by way of contrast, but the things that a lot of comic book fans like about wrestling is they like that it's, um, you know, it's a big power fantasy soap opera. It's like superheroes, right? Um, but it's live action and it's televised and they're like real life superheroes. And they wear these crazy outfits and, um, people like the camp, right? Um, they like the athleticism, um, they look at it like the way you would a story. And they analyze it the way you would, like Mad Men or something, right? And they inevitably get very disappointed and talk about how garbage WWE is, <laughs>
0: um,
1: and that's because they're using the wrong rubric, right? They're they're looking at it for the wrong things. Magic or uh, wrestling is above all else a con. Wrestling has its origins not in you know wrestling isn't television, right? That grew out of um, stage plays and radio serials and things like that. That was created as a method of storytelling right there there is storytelling in wrestling and there's a it's it's hugely important right um there are planned and choreographed bits um but at its core what wrestling originally was was a con it was a way to trick you the mark out of your money right this goes back to the 1860s right in the, in the united states a little bit earlier in france and um they were traveling carnivals and they would have a wrestler um who was usually a big muscly guy who was trained in um they're called hooks, right? They're things that were kind of outlawed in normal regulated wrestling matches, but, you know, in a carnival, nobody there's no <laughs> regulating body, right? And uh, they would be in cahoots with the promoter. They would be in cahoots with the guy taking the bets. Sometimes they would be in cahoots with the guy who would walk up out of the crowd, looking like a rube off the farm, who would go up there and give him what for, lasting for three minutes longer than everybody expected so that they could make a ton of money off of them. Wrestling has been fixed and orchestrated since the 1860s, right? It does not, it does not have its origins, and it is not a fixed version of MMA. It is not a live action version of comic book storytelling. It is a con it's a trick, right? It's like, it's like a magic trick. It works the exact same way that a magic trick does. And, um, so that's the core of the appeal of wrestling to me. Um, stacked on top of that is that it's a morality play. Um, and the reason it's become a morality play is because that's the best way to get people to pay for it. Right. The best way to con people out of their money is if there's one guy they really want to win and another guy they really want to lose. Right. And so it so it became a morality play as well, um, and I love that. I love the purity of it. I love the fact that uh, this guy is going to beat the tar out of that guy because he deserves it, and we get to cheer that, right? And that's and that brings me to the third thing that that I love about it, and the third thing that makes wrestling great is it's violent. It is cathartic, and it is um, it is the it is a pure when done properly it is a pure expression of ra- of justified rage and comeuppance. So there it is. That's wrestling. That's what's good about wrestling. Other people will tell you what's good about wrestling is all the fantastic moves and the costumes. And it's so funny when they do the promos. No, wrong. It's absolutely – like I know people should enjoy whatever it is they want to enjoy. But the the people who think that about wrestling, people who look at wrestling the way they would at a television show or a comic, they are inevitably disappointed. And they inevitably write these like – huge screeds on Twitter about, you know, why doesn't, why don't they just plan ahead more and why don't they do this? And they should build, you know, compelling characters and long storylines. No, they shouldn't because the goal isn't to do that. The goal is to get you watching next week. And because you're a stupid Mark, you are no matter what, even though, even though, even though you hate it, even though you're on Twitter talking about how much you hate it, you're still watching every week and you're live tweeting it and you're advertising it for them. That's how successful it is. Everything in, Twitter, everything in wrestling is a work, everything is a con, and that's beautiful. And I think that that, is, that speaks a lot to my storytelling aesthetic as well, um, because stories are lies, right? Stories are lies that, like wrestling, set out to trick you into believing that they're true, right? Even if just for a moment, when you're reading a comic, you, the goal is to get somebody so involved and so invested that they forget that these are just a bunch of static images on paper representing people that do not exist, Right. It's a con. It's a trick. And that's how that's how I structure my stories. That's how I approach everything I do.
0: That's a really good explanation. Thank you. (laughs) I talk about wrestling 90 minutes a week for the past three years. No, I mean, (laughs) you should have been able to give me a good you know, you know what the the thing that that I find interesting about it and I've never put the time into I did when I was much younger. But like when I think about it now, I like to think about the fact that people know that it is scripted to an extent. But there's a bit of gray area in the middle. That's a big part of the appeal too. What and, and that that part that's part of the
1: con. Like yeah, absolutely. you don't know where and that and ends. And I, And that's been going that's been going on again for as long as wrestling's been around. Mm-hmm. Right. As long I mean and I, I refer to it as like a shifting of the goalposts, right? And it it's hap it happened with Luthez in like the fifties and sixties. It happened it happens in WWE now, right? This idea that, oh yeah, what you're seeing now isn't real. But it used to be when the, the <laughs> truth is it never was. It's never been real. Right. Like Gotch and Hackenschmidt in like the 19 like 1911, I think, was the second one. 1908 for the first. I don't know. Um, those were they had like a four hour match. They stood up and like wrestled around each other for without actually taking anybody to the match for like two hours. <laughs> and people stood there and watched it. Fixed. Fixed. Uh, uh, almost certainly fixed. The second one definitely fixed. The first one probably as well. Um, it's, it's always been, and there have been, there have been instances, um, you know, there were instances where people would have like legit matches and stuff, but the real ones, the ones that actually mattered, they were fixed. Mm -hmm. And there, there are cases of people going off script too, really early as well. How long were you talking
0: about wrestling before you actually, if you look back in retrospect, did you think you knew you were talking about? Oh
1: man. Um, well, like I thought I knew what I was talking about after like. I don't know, like a year at WWE mm-hmm. uh, and I was wrong. I was way wrong. Like now, <laughs> like now looking back on it, um, I think it was probably, <sighs> I knew what I liked about like, so by the time I left WWE, I, I thought I knew what I liked about wrestling, but I didn't even. So that was two thousand two thousand ten. 2010. Like I didn't really get what it was that I liked about wrestling. I think I figured that out while I was working at, um, 2K or THQ and 2K right on the video game stuff. And it was because I was, my job was doing like social media stuff and interactive marketing. And I had to deal with all of these legit just children, right? Just child, like children who would tweet me angrily about whatever move not looking right in the video game, you know? And um, by doing that, I learned what they liked about wrestling and how far removed it is from what I like about wrestling. And that's when I first started to fall in love with, like the idea of the work and the con and the lie, right? And like the layers of truth and falsehood. And but it probably wasn't really until doing straight shoot for, I don't know, eight or nine months that I feel like that I probably really started to understand wrestling. And I think a big part of it came from having wrestlers on my show who – because they liked me <laughs> yeah. and my approach and the way I talked. And I, here's the, I am a good talker, right? I'm a personal guy on these things. Um, because of that, they were willing to open up to me and chit chat with me about the way that wrestling works. And so I was, I was privileged enough to become friends with these wrestlers who would come on my show, especially Roderick Strong, um, mm-hmm. who just had a baby uh, last night. Congratulations, Roderick Strong. Uh, he come on my show all the time and he was so giving of his time and his knowledge um explaining to me why matches worked right like i would say this match it was good why and he would explain why the match was good um and that so that's that would put us at like mid 2013 probably yeah or, or 2014 maybe yeah i don't know I was like it's that. it's
0: this this is me working on my parallel theory of of you and wrestling and me and comics i think it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's it sounds very familiar because you know, the, once you start talking to pros about how comics work or how wrestling works, you know, and then they understand that you understand, then that conversation t- comes to a different place, and it's fascinating. Yeah. Then because they're both
1: really interesting things that are really interesting, um, and, it's... And, and,
0: and I don't use interesting in the in the in the lazy way. Like they're they're just they're fascinating. There's so many facets and and things to think about and how you know what has come before and what is coming and what it is made of and how it's getting a reaction that. It's an, it's an endless conversation. I mean, it, so,
1: I mean, I love comics, right. And comics is what I, is mm-hmm. the dream and it's what I want to work in. And that's the medium. That's where I want to do my art. Right. Um, I love wrestling too. I mean, like, I love wrestling just as much, but I just don't want to work in wrestling. I like to be, a, a I call myself in a, a wrestling, aesthete, right? Like I like to appreciate it, but like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to work in it. Um, You're I'll close about wrestling to, and this is, uh, this is as, this is what, this is why this is what wrestling has over comics. I think that if you meet somebody who really understands wrestling, they get everything. It's it I think it's I think it is the Rosetta Stone to just understanding life and art and dealing with other people. I really do. Um I and I I'm not saying every wrestler or everybody who works in wrestling gets it because not just like in comics. Not everybody who works in comics gets comics. I think you can attest to that, right? If you meet somebody who really gets wrestling and understands what's good about it, um I think it touches on everything. And I think that it's um I think that it it is the root of all storytelling, even if, you know, uh, uh, gas-filled auteurs don't want to admit it, right? Like, the real root of storytelling is a con. It's a trick, right? And um, I think that's beautiful, and I think that's great. And I think it even, like, man, it it touches on, like, (laughs) chaos magic stuff, right? Which which is very popular in comic circles, right? You know, because Grant Morrison and, like, kind of trickle down from there, right? Like, the whole idea of chaos magic is that... You know nothing's real except for what works, and if it works, great, right? It's all nonsense, but find something that works and then do it, and that's that's wrestling, right? It's all nonsense, it's all a work, but if you find the things that are effective, if you find the things that get people coming in and plunking their money down, that's good and that's valuable and that's you know it's to be lauded, and I think the same thing's true of comics. Completely.
0: Now, uh, I have to wrap this up. But I want to make sure I have things to do. No, I'm, I'm going to fall over asleep, but not because of you. The, the kids wake me up very early. Either way. I, I, get, um, I get it. No, but I, I want to make sure that I, I just want to give uh, you a chance to also just really quickly describe what Scald is, because I think this is also laudable.
1: Yeah, so um, Scald is very weird. Scald is not for everybody. Um, <laughs> Scald, I call it the only story that matters. I have, for the past more than two years now, every single week, done a brand new episode, usually around 30 minutes long, between 30 and 40 minutes, of a ongoing sword and sorcery serial. This is not a radio serial. It's not funny voices and sound effects and music cues. and It's just me. It's just me telling a story. Skald is a type of Scandinavian bard, basically. These are the guys hanging out, talk, talk, telling like epic tales to Jarls and kings and stuff. And it is just a big, shit kicking, Moorcock and Robert E. Howard influenced, psychedelic, brutal, mean, nihilistic fantasy story. And I do it in one take, I write the whole thing. One episode every week and then I record it in one go. If I if I screw up a word halfway through, I stop, I delete it, I start over again. Um, I've described it um, as Conan the Barbarian as told by Ultimate Warrior, right? Because it's a lot of me shouting at you about things. I've described it as Michael Mostcock, which is a which is a Michael Moorcock joke. Um, and it's weird and I love it and it's very strange and I put a new episode out every single Tuesday I think episode 110 Jesus. I posted this morning yeah I've been doing it for over two years uh, never missed a week every episode is one take um, if you start at the beginning you can w- listen to me get way better at it really quickly um, every 16 episodes is a cycle um, but it continues but like it's it's a jumping on point so episode 97 is a good jumping on point um, it is a it is a place for me to work at an experiment with serialized storytelling, and it has been hugely beneficial in yeah. writing G.I. Joe, hugely, um, just in terms of techniques and how you, um, not just in t- not just about how you build things, but how you seed things for later. That's like the thing that's been most helpful to me, like how you set something up so that people are excited when it comes back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like how long to wait before you pay something off and things like that, like turn over the cards, like what we were talking about earlier. Um, and it's been, it's super helpful for me too. Cause it's where I exercise my demons, right? Like I, I think some people go to therapy or they go on Twitter and they like, they piss and moan about whatever they've got going on. I find a way to write a, to obliquely talk about it metaphorically with barbarians clobbering people over the heads. <laughs> With sticks. I think that probably says a lot about me that that's how I would solve all my problems. But there you go. That's scald. It's brutal. It's mean. And just uh, about a month ago, I started. We reached a Patreon goal, so I started doing like weird, spacey, synth music intros and outros that I also play live for every episode. (laughs) It's very weird. It's very weird. It's very specific. It's not for everybody. You are. I love it.
0: You are an esoteric grouping of things.
1: Yeah, man. I. Well, I mean, that's that's something uh, i think as you get older like that's one of the joys of getting older yeah. is you just figure out exactly what you like and you <laughs> go 180 miles per hour in that direction and that's what scald is for me and it's you know it's it's available on iTunes and Podomatic and Stitcher uh, and Google Google Play it's S K A L D or you can go to com, or you can just search for scald on Amazon because I put prose volumes of each individual cycle, which is sixteen episodes, up on Amazon as well. It's impressive. I it's do very... a lot of things, man. Yeah, you do. You do. When you, you do not have kids, you got all this time to
0: just do things. I'm not, what I'm you think not about saying that? I can look back and see a fork in the road, but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks a lot, man. Uh, this has been working. a pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm glad we I'm glad we finally got to this. Hey, can I plug can I
1: plug my website? Yes, I was about to do that aubreyciterson.com a u b r e y s i t t e r s o n dot That that is links to everything that has links to Straight Shoot to Scald to buying copies of GI Joe buying signed copies of GI Joe all my social media um, which I'm just Aubrey Citizen on super easy a u b r e y s i t t e r s o n I'm most active on Twitter you've got a good Googleable name yeah I'm that's am very fortunate in that regard there's
0: another yeah. Josh Flanagan who like came up behind me and is now more popular. Oh no! Does he do? Does he do comic stuff too? He does like? Um, I think he was involved with like Red versus Blue, and now he does some production company called Rooster Teeth. We've chatted. He seems perfectly lovely. He's got to go, but we he's now the first. It. He's the first Google result, and no, oh, I had it for Holy years. He's I remember go. getting it. I remember being able to search my name and be the first guy all the time. I was like, I've done it, and then one day I was like, Wait a minute! <laughs> Who is this? Who is this Jabroni? Yeah. Who has unseated me? It was horrible. But it's okay, cause I, you know, I don't have to focus on that anymore. It's fine.
1: No, 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 that's not so, well, you've got kids.
0: You've got kids. I it's do. Fine.
1: <laughs> oh, I
0: don't want that to be my identity.
1: Anyway, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll talk. We'll, we'll
1: cover this. We'll fix this offline. You yeah, should. You
0: cool. should do your scold. Yeah, i I've sort of have, but metaphorically. Um. All right, man. Thank you so much. Really thank fun. you. And that is going to do it for another split. I want to thank Aubrey for talking to me. Talking. You can talk. My kid. You can go see him at aubreysitterson.com or you can follow him on Twitter and you know how the internet works. It's not a big deal. You can go to ifanboy.com. You can comment on this show. Of course, you can also go to com slash support and you can find out how to become a patron supporting shows like this and other goals we have in the future for more um, really good comic talk stuff. Thanks very much and we'll talk to you later.